ass when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he the Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And Jay is coming to us live from America's most bustling city, one of America's most exciting cities. That's right, Jay is in downtown Salt Lake City, Utah, as he prepares for the Celtics to go on a five-game West Coast swing. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. The Celtics did play and won a basketball game last night against the Philadelphia 76ers, 88-87. to And Jay, was that the ugliest basketball game you've ever seen in person? It was not the most beautiful basketball I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, no, it was terrible. It was... <laughs> But if, if you like defense, if you like net repairs, oh, yeah. if you like, I don't know what else. I don't know what else. It was pretty game saving blocks. Game. <laughs> game saving blocks. There was a game saving block. Um, yeah, I, I struggle to think of an uglier game the Celtics have won while I've been covering the team. But I think that's also a good thing in some ways. That was the worst offensive rating they'd had in a win since January 6, 2018, I think. Yikes. And that was the year, of course, they went to the Eastern Conference Finals because their defense is awesome. And because they had a lot of young guys who could play. And because they had Al Horford. So maybe you should start thinking about the Eastern Conference Finals, Packard. I believe me, I'm thinking about them. Um, the thing is, like that, this is uh, like Celtics fans. I think should expect a lot more ugly basketball because I think that is the formula for the Celtics. They have a very strong defensive team, and they are not great on the offensive end. And Jason Tatum, although. I had a decent, I guess, per- performance just in terms of scoring the basketball, 26 points. Rebound, Crazy amount of rebounds, although he was stealing most of those from Robert Williams, as he admitted after the game. Um, but just like not a, a lot of other sources of offense. Dennis Schroeder did not have a great game, although kind of mixed results late. It's just a, it was kind of an ugly game, and it's just like that is what the Celtics are. They are a ugly grinded out team that's going to have to win games on the defensive end. And they did the job on defense. Ime went double bigs pretty much the entire game, except for like the final five minutes. And it held yeah, to speed talk- to only 13 points. We've got to talk about the Cantor Horford pairing because you can sell me on Horford and Robert Williams. Horford and Robert Williams worked. <laughs> they're athletic enough that you're going to have an awesome defense with those two guys as your power forward and center. I'm just not so sure about the Cantor Horford. I'm just not so sure at all. But obviously they, they're they sold about what Ennis Cantor did while Robert Williams was out. Whoa, whoa, and whoa. F- the name's Freedom. freedom. Yeah, 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 my bad. Freedom. What Freedom? Well, he was Ennis Cantor at that time, to be fair. 
What are you talking about? He was, he was Cantor last night. Or, I mean, I he was freedom Robert last night. Williams was out. Oh, yes. While Robert Williams was out, he was Ennis Cantor. Now he's Ennis Cantor freedom. Um, and now he's playing with Al Horford. Like, I just don't understand if you're, if you're trying to find any offensive spacer, if you're trying to have a flexible defense, I just don't think the Cantor-Horford duo is the way to go. That said, I, I do think Cantor – or Freedom deserves minutes. Um, and that's going to be something Udoka has to figure out, like how do you get all three of those guys minutes um, without having too much clunky basketball because you've got two centers playing at the same time. Yeah, and the offensive end, it just really doesn't work. Like, with Robert and Horford out there, Al can step out to the perimeter a bit. He knocked down some threes. He was two of three. But then you saw Robert Williams as the constant lob threat. Let me tell you, NS Freedom's not going up and getting that basketball. He's just not uh, jumping. He was pretty awful. He smoked a number of bunnies. I didn't know Freedom was for bunny smoking, but that's why we live in the great country that we do. Um, cause you're free to smoke as many bunnies you want, but you're going to make so many dumb freedom jokes, not just me. They're out there. Like, it's not even my fault. It's not like I'm going out of my way to do that. When you change your name to freedom, the dumb jokes are going to come. Like, it's just, how can you not? Uh, I mean, you just don't have to succumb to that pressure i i literally cannot do that if you name yourself freedom and i'm just easily able to tweet like Embiid hates freedom it's just like i'm in it for, i'm in twitter for the jokes if nothing else and that one's just too easy um, Embiid like the freedom he, he broke out a stupid freedom joke last night too there's gonna be stupid freedom jokes for the rest of the year i think as long especially if he keeps getting playing time I was like surprised to see him get 17 minutes a game. I think that like the interesting part about this game is that the Celtics were finally healthy only in terms of the fact that they were like had all of their guys who were willing to play. I'm like a little bit skeptical of whether or not Jalen and Dennis are actually fully healthy, but we saw Ennis get 17 minutes a game. We saw no Romeo Langford, no Jabari Park, not Jabari Park. I meant Aaron Neesmith, no Peyton Pritchard. Um, a much shorter rotation from Ime. And the bench really kind of was bad in this game. Um, they Celtics got up a big lead in the first quarter, and then the bench came in and kind of really threw it away. I thought that Jason Tatum and the bench lineups were bad at the end of the first quarter and bad at the end of the third quarter. Um, so it wasn't the best showing for a, a fully healthy roster, but um, I just don't know if, like, I don't know. Maybe playing Ennis had something to do with it. Uh, what do you think of like how the bench performed and kind of their full bench role? Yeah, I think. Well, first of all, if you're going to play Cantor and or Freedom and Horford together, then and you're going to play them with Dennis Schroeder, there's just not as enough space for him. He's a guy who loves to get to the paint and has an easier time doing that when they're shooting around him. And it just makes things tough when you've got two guys like that. And granted, like, Philly's a different matchup because Joel Embiid's on that team and Andre Drummond, who's enormous. and Did he eat someone? Offensive rebound threat. Did Andre Drummond get 40 pounds in the, since the last time I've seen Andre Drummond, or is he just, like, not paying attention? He's, 
he's, he's huge. He's pretty big. He's a big man. Um, so it, that might not be something that they go to all the time. It might have been a matchup thing where Ujoka just thought, okay, we can play these guys against Philly because one, they have huge dudes, and two, they don't have a ton of like nifty creators that you're going to be worried about freedom chasing around or, or Horford chasing around at the four or whatever the case. But I think the bench, like they've got to figure out what to do with the bench because it seems like they play a whole lot of lineups that just have no prayer of scoring, no prayer whatsoever. And and maybe that's the player's fault. Like maybe it's Peyton Pritchard and Aaron Neesmith's fault that they didn't play well enough for, or they haven't played well enough for Ema to feel com- comfortable putting more shooting on the court. But I just feel like, like a lot of the times the lineups they put out there, it's like how could you possibly score with that group on the court? And it to feels- give Celtics credit, like they have been great defensively. They have been awesome defensively. And you look at all the issues they've had, and they're 12 and 10. They're a couple games out, I think, of second place, although everyone's jumbled in the East. But they've at least, like, stayed in the pack um, while going through a lot. Like, Tatum stinks compared to, <laughs> compared, compared to Relative, his normal. yes. Compared to his normal standard, obviously, he doesn't actually stink. He's very impactful even when he's not shooting well. But – Jalen's been out for a long time. Like, a lot has gone wrong for this team. But that defense has been awesome. And and they're physical. And they're tough. And they keep doing it no matter how few points they score, which is impressive. Like It's impressive like, how little they actually score. And they had so many opportunities to just kind of like – because they were getting stop after stop after stop. Uh, to just like build the lead and they didn't do it. Um, but you're right. The defense is pretty, pretty solid. I mean, anytime you can hold Joel Embiid to like three of 17, Tobias Harris, one of the most fraudulent players in the league, only had eight points, uh, a down game from Maxi. I just thought like everyone, like Shake Milton had a little run in the first quarter, but then otherwise didn't do anything. My man, George's Niang, I thought was, did some good stuff. And it, one of the quickest releases in the league I've, uh, I've seen in a while. But you're right. The defense was phenomenal. It just felt like the offense was struggled. And normally I think the offense struggles when Tatum goes to the bench. But to me right now, it feels like Marcus Smart is the best kind of like creator of offense. He had eight assists last night. Just in terms of like creating looks for his teammates, it feels like it's not like they have great offense right now. But it feels like they don't have a lot of creators when Marcus Smart's on the bench. Like him just being a very solid pro, like – I don't think his shooting numbers have been there, but he's like the type of guy where it's just, he's the guy who's going to attack. He's the guy who's going to create something for the team on offense. And when he's on the bench, no one else is really doing that. Yeah. yeah. I feel like he gets them organized too. Like they're a lot more organized when Marcus Smart is running the show. I feel like he he's played really well. Um, and then the other takeaway I had from that game specifically, like last year, Tice Thompson, Robert Williams, like jumping at pump fakes left and right. The Celtics had no chance 
zero chance of slowing down Joel Embiid. He absolutely mutilated them last season. He averaged close to 40 points per game. I think it was 38.3. I think Philadelphia won all of those matchups. And it was just, they, there was nothing they could do with Joel Embiid. For parts of last night's game, Joel Embiid wasn't even a big factor. The Celtics defense, first of all, having Al Horford to play him is huge. Dennis Cantor is, for all his defensive flaws, not a bad post defender, especially. That's the one thing he can do. He doesn't have to move his feet. He just needs to be large. Yeah. Yeah. And then then with the double big lineup, to have Robert Williams on the weak side, it's just neat. You know, I think I think the Celtics tried that last year against Jokic, didn't they? Where they had Grant Williams, yeah, Jokic, so that Robert Williams could roam from the weak side and and create havoc. He Robert did a great job, I think, uh, and B just closing late, like like having kind of that late double and just getting a hand up and jump, like and B was not really getting to the rim, and I thought um, the defense there, where uh, late in the shot clock. Robert could just leave his guy and kind of like, cause they're giving Embiid a lot of attention as they should with the kind of the Sixers lineup. But I thought it was pretty dynamic and what they could do. Um, and just like being able to switch back and forth between sometimes Robert on Embiid, sometimes, um, Horford on Tobias. Like it was just a, it was, it was a pretty like dope defensive lineup just to watch them work. Cause I thought they were like doing cool things just by slowing down Embiid. Yeah. yeah. And that the, the video of Jalen fronting Embiid. That was wild. While wow. Dennis Schroeder was basically just playing, like double teaming Embiid off ball, basically. Just totally left his own man. And was. I'm sure his man was Matisse Teibel at that point because they were completely yeah. abandoning him. They were completely abandoning him. But I thought the, the video angle of that from NBC Sports Boston was perfect to show how the Celtics were playing and how much goes into slowing down Joel Embiid. Like, and Jalen Brown was working his ass off to stay in front. And then Schroeder had to be on the backside help so that they still couldn't get an angle to throw to Embiid, whether it was a lob, a bounce pass, whatever. And just the, the willingness to... Outright leave Schroeder's man <laughs> open <laughs> was incredible. And then just the Celtics commitment to to following the game plan and like you make a mistake against a beat, he punishes you. He did not score a bucket at the rim last night. I think Which is wild. Over four at the rim. Three of those were either blocked or stripped. It was from that perspective like a perfect defensive performance from the Celtics. And then let's talk about the last play because that was another, like, incredible defensive sequence from them. Uh, And that's why, like, some ugly wins are better than others. When you hold Joel Embiid to three for 17 and then clamp down on the final possession of a game against a very good team like the 76ers when Embiid's healthy, like, that's a good win. And that last possession was like picture perfect. Al Horford 
pressures the hell out of Tobias Harris. That was amazing. Like Al Horford is 30, in his mid-30s, he's really a center at this stage, although he plays some power forward. He's out there guarding the premier scoring threat for the 76ers after switching on to him. Like a couple of possessions after switching on to Seth Curry and forcing a turnover when Seth Curry stepped on the baseline. He's hounding Tobias Harris, takes away the angle for an entry pass, doesn't allow the easy entry pass, which is what the 76ers were looking for. And then Robert Williams, somehow on the weak side. He started on the inbounder. Robert Williams is defending the inbounder on that play. Follows Niang over to the corner. Like This goes to show Robert Williams' development because you put him on a shooter last year. You put him on a shooter maybe even like two months ago, (laughs) and he's abandoning that shooter, and that shooter is probably going to get a wide-open three to beat the Celtics at the shot clock buzzer. But Robert Williams played it perfectly. He helped on Embiid a little bit. He was close to Embiid. And then as soon as the ball was going toward Niang, he closed out and recovered like very few athletes in this world can and blocked the shot. But like for a center to be guarding a knockdown shooter like Niang and, and first guard the inbound pass, then help to – prevent the entry pass for Embiid, and then get out to Niang without getting lost, without overhelping. It was just an awesome, awesome possession by the Celtics defense and by the two bigs who everyone wondered whether they can play together. But the Celtics have been great with them on the court, especially defensively. Like, they are a dynamite. They have been a dynamite defensive duo. That was my question, and I, I looked foolish when I tweeted it out. The um and then I made to look smart when uh, Rob had the block. But do you think the Celtics should be closing with Robert Williams on the court instead of Dennis Schroeder? Like Dennis had clearly had the clutch bucket late where he kind of had that pick and roll with Horford and, and B got pulled out of the paint and he made that uh, kind of go ahead bucket. But then he had an awful possession um, to kind of lead to a turnover to give the Sixers a chance. And then Robert Williams comes in for the final possession and the Celtics defense is kind of ratcheted up. Like, I think ideally the Celtics offense is better with Dennis on the court and just only one big, but the Celtics offense has been bad. So why not just put your best defensive team out there and just like grind out games? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And that, I, I do think at some point Udoka might have to consider that lineup as a closing lineup. But almost everyone in the league just goes really small in crunch time. That's why you got a zag. Everyone else is zigging. You got a zag. And I, I, like, Horford has been ridiculous defensively. And the way he's been at the four, the way he's been able to switch on the guards, the way he's been been able to hold up against basically anyone from has, Joel has a small team been able to punish the Celtics for having like double bigs yet like I don't remember a game in which someone's gone super small against them and it's really hurt the Celtics uh on either end yeah, yeah. No. I I can't remember a game when they got roasted either and I mean Horford deserves a lot of credit for that but also Robert Williams like they're using him in different ways sometimes and he's not always guarding big men. He's not always going to be at the rim. And I just think he's done a really 
pretty mature job of handling that and adjusting to those responsibilities and and proving that he's versatile too because we knew that Horford has a lot of versatility but Williams is kind of expanding his game in that front and for him to guard like the Sixers they're not a small team but like Tobias Harris is their four he's a guy who can put the ball on the floor he can shoot and so that's a matchup that theoretically could have caused issues for the Celtics big lineup. And it didn't, not at all. They they were able to shut down the 76ers all game. And the last possession, they just clamped, 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 clamped. And it was mostly because of the two big guys. The one last thing I want to get to before um, we open it up to the listeners uh, who can join us on stage Um we're on the athletic live app. And so we are, uh, always happy, uh, to have the listeners come and ask us questions. It's probably the most fun part of the show. Before we get to that, do you think Jalen Brown should be playing games right now? Because that was no. another thing that stood yeah. out to me. He just does not have the kind of juice or the explosion that, uh, you kind of need to, for him to be the most effective. He just like, he had that amazing play, uh, fronting Embiid. And he did a pretty damn good job uh, when he was put in that situation. But just on fast breaks, where normally he's one of the best players in the league, he just didn't have it. And he kind of just looked hobbled for the entire game. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear he's not moving the way he normally does. I think it's pretty clear that he's in pain while he's on the court. I don't understand the way they've handled this injury. Um, a lot of the times with injuries, like I think there's a lot of gray area. Guys can play through stuff. It's, it's, but this one, like with a hamstring, it doesn't make sense to play through. That feels like something you want to like rest, but I'm, I'm not a doctor. I just play one on Twitter. And he's, and he's been listed as questionable every game. Um, he's clearly like had moments of winching. At and limping you know, during during every game, and and he played, I think thirty something minutes yesterday. So yeah, I I agree. It's it's probably time for him to to sit at least for a little while. You don't have to sit him forever. Like he's proven he can at least play minutes, and and be reasonably effective. But I just don't get this early in the season pushing him to to the point that they have. And obviously it would be a bad time to sit him and to rest him and to get him healthy with a five-game road trip about to start. But his long-term health is far more important than whatever happens in Utah or Portland over the next couple of nights. So I, I, I do think they they need to take the decision out of his hands and just say, Jalen, we're going to give you another week or whatever it is, however much time that he needs so that he's not in obvious discomfort and obviously held back while he's on the court. Yeah, they got a couple back-to-backs coming up, and I just don't think it makes sense to have him go um, for both of them. We'll talk about the West Coast trip a little bit later, but right now I want to go to the listeners. Andrew DK, who's been waiting patiently, Andrew How's it going? Pretty good. Uh, thanks for you guys taking the time to do this. It's always interesting to hear the insights after a, a tough game like that. 
Um, my question is, as far as like, you know, a lot of the teams in the East, they're, they're kind of have similar records. You know, everyone's been struggling along, it looks like, from their records. As a barometer, like, how would you say this game makes the Celtics, like, kind of evaluate where they are? Um, you know, given Embiid was out for three weeks with COVID, he, he looked like, you know, he didn't look like last year Embiid. Um, and Simmons wasn't playing, who's, you know, obviously everybody knows he's been out. Um, given that, how do, how do you guys feel about, you know, what the rest of the season or the next quarter of the season looks for the Celtics after this game? It's a good Thank question. You. Yeah. Um, I think that, that one game didn't change what I thought about the Celtics or what I think about the Eastern conference hierarchy to me, it's the Nets, it's the Bucks in one tier, it's the Bulls, it's the Heat in a second tier. Oh, wow. When the Wizard, when the the Wizards disrespect right now. Yeah, the Wizards are not in either of those tiers. <laughs> they're, they're with everybody else uh, in a third tier. Well, I think the Celtics are in that third tier. Um, if they figure things out offensively, then things can change. And they don't have to be like a top five offense. If they get they're just a respectable offense, their defense is good enough, they'll be in every game. And they'll have Tatum and Brown closing every game. And like that that seems like a decent formula. But they have to figure out the offense. And until they do, then they're gonna win grimy. They're gonna lose grimy. They're gonna they're gonna hover Somewhat around 500. Um, their offense has just been so bad. Just so bad. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's really hard to figure out anything about the Eastern Conference. Like that one win against the Sixers, I don't know what it can tell you. I mean, Andrew mentioned the Embiid's coming back from COVID. Obviously, he was not like that dominant. But I feel like at this point, pretty much 1 through 13, anyone can win a basketball game uh, in the Eastern Conference. Like the pay, like – if the Celtics lost to the Pacers, it just wouldn't shock me. And if the Celtics beat the Nets on a random game, I think it would be impressive because the Nets clearly have uh, some elite talent. But just like the East is completely jumbled up. And like the Hornets played a pretty damn close game with the Bucks last night. And like I think the Bucks are ultimately a much better team than the Hornets. But especially in early season basketball, I don't know like what you can really – take away from any of these games and that's why the teams are so jumbled i think it's just impossible to really figure it out i would agree with you that it's nets and bucks like the bucks have won um eight of their last 10 games like they are pretty they are 
doing much better now now they like are more healthy but after that i don't even know if there's a tear like the heat just lost bam for a couple weeks um the bulls have vucevic coming back which i think will hurt them um which is my bold take but then it's just a hodgepodge of randomness and like i have no idea what to take from the celtics uh in any of these individual games you just kind of hope that over this next month, they play 15 games. They are, I guess they're one and oh in December right now, but it's a pretty tough schedule, including this West Coast trip. Um, I think if they like, if they win nine of those games, if they go nine and six, I think that's like a pretty successful month just because one is a tough schedule and two is just like teams are pretty much bunched up around 500 in the Eastern Conference. Like everyone seems to be pretty even this year and it's going to be really hard. Like I'd be shocked if anyone other than the Nets and the Bucks really created separation. Uh, in the Eastern Conference at this point. Wizards disrespect, huh? Oh, well, yeah, I was going to disrespect him too. I don't believe in the Wizards either. I was just joking. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I think this month will tell us a lot about the Celtics. I think this road trip coming up, this like five game road trip, like it will tell us a lot about kind of the toughness of this team. And it's like a kind of a big swing. They have five pretty tough opponents. They're playing. Uh, the Suns oh, and the Jazz. They're lucky. They'll, they'll probably play the Lakers without LeBron. And they might play and the Suns without Booker. Depending on without Lillard. Lillard. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't realize Dame's not playing. In that case, they should win at least three of these games. All of a sudden, it's must-win games everywhere. Well, it's, a, it's in the Eastern Conference, every game's a must-win game. But Unless they're like, they're playing the Jazz and the Suns, who are like two of the top five teams in the league. The Clippers have been solid. Like, it's going to be two back-to-back games, I believe, although the one in L.A., they don't really have to go anywhere, so that's, like, shouldn't be too bad. But it's going to be interesting. I will be chilling out in L.A. The kid, Hollywood Hollywood King, is is probably one of the best forms of Jay King. West Coast King uh, is a fun Jay King. If uh, if any of you guys are out on the West Coast, I would uh, go track him down, uh, harass him, hit him up. It'll be a good time. Right now we're going to go to celebrity caller June. Uh, oh, long time caller, long time caller, long time listener, long time caller June. How are you doing? Good. How are you guys? Doing good. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to talk about the point that you guys, you uh, Sam, Sam, you brought up about the closing lineup and how the offense is ugly. Um, like assuming you close with one big, um, it looks like the closing lineup is going to be. Shooter, smart, the Jays, and choose, choose a big between, between Al or Rob. Um, and obviously, when you play smart and shooter together, the offense are going to have moments that are just ugly because the, sh- the shooting isn't there. Um, so on that note, do you think that, like, Romeo or Grant should ever be closing games just for some, for some spacing purposes? And if not, and it doesn't look like that's really the case on most occasions because, like, Shooter and Smart are just, I mean, they're just better, right? Um, and if that's the case, like, are they just going to close games like that the rest of the year? Or do you think they should just essentially make a move for a Shooter who's on Shooter or Smart's level that is good enough to basically close games and sit one of them? Yeah, I think your question kind of explained the bind who Doka's in. You were talking about putting more spacing on the court. <laughs> they granted Romeo are not going to help out because no one's going to guard them. No, and, and they have been shooting well, but, like, teams still don't care. Teams yeah, will yeah. welcome 
Grant Williams being in the corner, although he's the corner master. He is he, the corner master these days. Teams but, would welcome yeah. that shot a th- thousand times out of a thousand. And so there, there is a big buying because there, there's no real obvious option about like what to do to open up the offense there. Yeah. And, and there's just like, a, if they had a professional shooter who could hold up defense with, I don't Aaron know. Aaron <laughs> if, if his name was Aaron. If they had Aaron Neesmith on the roster, if only. Yeah, <laughs> if only they had Aaron Neesmith. But, like, somebody in that mold to really provide spacing. And not just, like, the percentages, whatever Grant's shooting, whatever Romeo's shooting. I know it's very good. Someone that, uh, like, other teams will respect as a shooter. Maybe a George's Niang type. Maybe or, a guy or, or, or someone you could put in the action and teams are petrified to leave. You know, like, like Seth Curry. Seth Curry, you can't leave. Well, yeah, you're talking about one of the best shooters in the league. Well, <laughs> if they had say, Steph Curry out there, the offense would be a lot so better. Seth, Seth. I'm saying, I know, I was making fun of you. Both, both Curry would be, <laughs> would look okay in Boston. Um, but yeah, I, I just think Udoka is kind of limited by his options. And I, I do think from the sound of it, he, is very committed to closing games with those four guys, Schroeder, Smart, Tatum, Brown, and whatever big. And he thinks the Celtics have to figure out how to play with, with those guys on the court. And I think some of it is just like learning actions that, that work best. Like felt like sometimes they, they try too hard to get Schroeder going or try too hard to get Schroeder a decent matchup. Um, sometimes they don't, Utilize Tatum's. It's entirely too much Dennis. And that's the thing that like, I, like maybe you want to get a guy who is a shooter out there, but I think I was talking about earlier in the episode. Why not just go full defense? Go double big. Like I think one of the downfalls of having that lineup is the ball, like in order to get Dennis to be most effective, the ball needs to be in Dennis's hand. And then you don't have Tatum with the ball in club, like in crunch time. And that feels like. You want the ball in the best hands, like, or in the player, in the hands of your best player. Wow. Um, and so I just don't no, know if Dennis and Tatum really, like, work together. It's not like when Dennis has the ball, they're running a lot of off-ball action to get Tatum, like, catching the ball in the catch or creating space for Tatum. It feels like when Dennis has the ball in the clutch, it's the Dennis show. And we've seen games, like, against the Bucks. It was pretty good. Even last night. He did had some good plays, but then you also saw the bad of Dennis. I'm I'm advocating just like a full zag. I I know like the spacing would suffer, but Rob is kind of a security blanket on offense where there's a lot of like bailout, just throw the ball up and like maybe Rob can get a nice easy lob dunk. Like he had a number, I think three lobs last night. He does. It's not like he's he just spaces the way differently. He provides um what some experts might call vertical spacing and so i just don't like the the numbers without those four you mentioned the four kind of smaller guys have not been good i understand why the email keeps trying it but eventually they're going to have to try something different because um it's just not currently working like those four smaller guys and then one big um but on a more important note i feel like june brings a good every time he asks a question that's why he's a celebrity caller june comes with the heat 
June comes in out and questions? just asks a fucking great question every single time. June is Mr. Consistent. June is an all-time caller. I would say top caller right now. Someone has to bump him off his spot. Maybe it'll be – I don't know how to pronounce your name, so correct me if I'm wrong. I want to say Avon or Evan C. Just Evan. Just Evan? You just like not per, uh, uh, E-A-D-A-N. Uh, my family's like pretty damn Irish. Oh, it's an Irish name. Well, Evan, yeah, welcome yeah. to the program. Thanks for uh, joining us. Oh, <laughs> uh, thanks. Uh, I was at the game last night for the first time and since COVID. Uh, not gonna lie, it was wasn't a, it was a really fun game to watch, even though it wasn't pretty. Uh, you enjoyed the net repairs, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> that, I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> like five minutes, I just saw the kids playing on one side. But yeah, I have to go to the game. I have never seen Joel Embiid settle for so many like just fadeaways. He didn't even try to go to the basket. I'd say like in the third and fourth quarter. So I don't know if it was a great game to really monitor with, but I just feel like if they play Rob and Horford together, and I think that's their best defensive lineup and best lineup together. For closing time, and I feel they should play them together in the closing minutes. What did you guys think? Hey, he's speaking my language. I agree. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Embiid, right, he's probably working through some stuff. When 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 guys are out with COVID, not only are they in his case, I think he was very sick from what he said, but it's also you just can't work out. Like you're sick. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> You're not playing games. You're not doing your normal workout routine. And so him being a little out of shape, at least a little out of shape, coming back and struggling against two very good defensive big men in Al Horford and Robert Williams. Like, I, I get that. But I also do think the Celtics' resistance against him this season is far different than it was last season. Like – Tice, Tice wasn't going to do anything with Joel Embiid. Tristan Thompson was not going to do a damn thing with Joel Embiid. But Al Horford has always played him well. And Freedom, back when he was Cantor, always played him pretty well too. And so the, the Celtics just have – and they play bigger lineups. So like having Robert Williams as your weak side big to come over and double – like, that's just different. It's different from what the Celtics had last season. Um, although I guess they could have had Robert Williams as a weak side big, but they didn't do that very often. Um, I, I just think their defense is a lot different, a lot more physical, a lot bigger. And, and the matchup against Embiid spotlighted that, I felt like. Yeah. And I, I think they work together. It's just whether or not, like, they work together in the well in the first quarter. It's just whether or not you trust them as a closing lineup. Um, we haven't really seen it. I think ime has gone single big pretty much to close every single game. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he kind of like pivots to that at all uh, moving forward. We got McCoy T joining. McCoy is a strong name. Uh, how are you doing, McCoy? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Big fan. Um, I had a question for you guys sort of looking forward in the season. Um, a lot of people always like to talk about if teams will be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline and what type of fit would be best. 
I feel like for the Celtics for the past two or three seasons, everyone's been saying they need a, like a big wing, a power forward off the bench at the trade deadline. I was just wondering with how solid the double big lineup has been and Grant Williams off the bench, if you guys think that would be the best player still. I see a lot of people say like a Thad Young type guy from San Antonio. But just curious what type of um, role players at the deadline you'd like to see them go after, if any. Yeah, I've actually changed my mind about that. I, I used to think that they needed another power forward type two. But number one, Al Horford has done a really good job in that role. I think he's proven that even at his age, he can handle that responsibility. Number two, Grant Williams has been much better. And Grant Williams has done a decent job. He's knocked out shots. He's helped with the defense. He's been solid. He's not fouling as much. I just think the combination of, of Horford proving he can still do it and Williams proving he's capable, that, that changes what the Celtics need to me. It's just shooting. It's shooting. It's like if they could get a shooter who could run around screen, like really freaking move off the ball and just draw attention like a like a young JJ Redick type and obviously those guys are really really tough to find um and obviously they probably won't get someone of that caliber but this team just needs more shooting they need someone to make the game easier for Tatum for Brown they need someone to open up the court for Schroeder to make make it easier to run lob plays for Robert Williams I just think one knockdown shooter would go very far for this Celtics team. Yeah, I think they have to have the best shooter available, but I think everyone is looking for shooting. And it's just like, I don't know what necessarily, like who's going to be available for trade because most teams that are in it, and that's another thing with all, all the parity in the Eastern, all the Eastern Conference and Western Conference and the play-in game, I think a lot of teams are not necessarily going to be sellers at the deadline. The first thing that popped into my mind was just like a shooter who may be available is Eric Gordon. He's not really like the runaround screens type. He's a little bit older, but he's still shooting over 40% um, from three this year. I think they got to add shooting. I just don't know like necessarily where that comes from. There's not a lot of obvious guys uh, out there. And it's just like odd to me to like, they kind of have guys who can shoot on the bench. Like Payne Pritchard and Aaron Neesmith, although they haven't been good this year, hypothetically, like they're pretty solid three-point shooters, and especially Payton Pritchard can shoot from deep. I just don't know. I have no idea what's going to happen with the trade deadline, but they do seem to like have options. They're just not options that Ime is really willing to use. I don't know if they have a kind of a an ability right now to acquire a guy who's like definitively – would, if like as soon as you trade for him, he's in your top eight players in the rotation. I just don't know if that type of guy is available. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's fair. Every team needs shooting, always. No matter how much shooting you have, every team wants more. So, yeah, it's going to be tough to find. Um, especially, it's going to be tough to find because you can go out there and pick up a shooter, but a shooter who holds up defensively that you can keep him on the court and play him in playoff minutes. Like, like I remember when the 76ers picked up, like, Marco Bellinelli and shit. 
back in the day. Like Marco Bellinelli should, could shoot that thing. Like, the Celtics really attacked him on he, he, every he, possession. He made a huge, huge, huge difference for that Philadelphia offense for however long he was there. The Celtics were relentless as soon as he got to the playoffs. Just bum hunted him the whole <laughs> bum hunted him. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I, I, I wanted, by the way, to, to make a, the 76ers are hunting freedom. Line, but line, but, line, but thank you for refraining. Do too much hunting, and yeah, I'm, no. I'm, I'm against freedom jokes now. Well, to, like freedom against uh, uh, 76ers, which get its name from the Constitution, um, or I guess the Declaration of Independence. Most people forget that Constitution wasn't signed till 1789, folks. Um, we're uh, most people uh, don't remember their uh, colonial American history. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Is colonial American history potable, Jake King? I really don't think it is. Everything is potable! Seriously, dog, you want to talk about the election of 1800? Wild nope. stuff. Wild nope. stuff. No, nope. nope. thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you next week.